For those who don't know, nor is this prevalent to your understanding of things. Um, Lee and I are basically going to be recording for like two or three hours today. Marathon recording session. So we just recorded a concert recap. We have two episodes and then we're doing a roundtable for another project. TBD. TBA. TBA. To be announced. Yes. Um, So, yeah. Well, that none of that was the intro that I had planned. The intro I had planned is we are almost halfway through the year somehow. Uh, it's stupid. It's so dumb. But judging off this first half of the year, if you had to pick right now, what would your album of the year be? This is so similar to the question I thought of for my Well, I stole it first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This album hasn't been released yet. Mm. It's actually getting released Friday. Okay. I'll but it's going to be Sleep Token's it. new album. Okay. They have released up to six songs already. Like half an album. Each one has just been stellar. And they've sent, of course, the record early to a couple of different um, magazines and things like that. And people are like saying, like, you can go ahead and just call this album of the year. Wow. In in the rock scene. So like I'm my hype level is so stupidly high. I hope that you are not disappointed because the Jonas Brothers album really disappointed me. Oh, I'm Shh. sorry. Apologies. It's okay. They they did not live up to the hype. So I hope that I hope that that lives up to the hype. Thank you. you. I will let you know by Friday. Okay. I will have listened to it probably like three times. Um, I'm gonna pull one out of left field, and go with Boy Genius the album. Which which one? Boy Genius. Oh, Boy Genius. Yeah, yeah. The album, the record. No, Jonas Brothers is the The album. album. Boy Genius is the record. It's very confusing. Wait, I thought Boy Genius was called the album. No, it's called the record. Why do they do that? Why do bands... Why did, why did Jonas Brothers make the album? It's really fucking confusing. Because this happened on Friday. I mentioned the Jonas Brothers, the album, in a conversation. And someone's like, what album? And I'm like, the album. They're like, what album? And I'm like, this is reading like a comedy skit right now. Yeah, like, this is who's on first. Yes. I was like, it's called the album. It's a stupid title. And then everything they released around it is called the shirt or the hoodie. There's, there's the poster for the album. That's the Friends gimmick thing yeah the, the one about the blah 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 but no boy genius i fucking love that record and i was not expecting to love that record it's good and the first time i heard it i got to satanist that morning the friday that it released mm-hmm. and i literally went what the fuck i gotta go to target on my lunch break and buy a physical copy of this because this is so good and i've listened to it like i listened to it twice today <laughs> yeah i've listened to it a couple times it's, it's good so good i really like the uh the second track twenty dollars yeah twenty dollars is really good and then the one where julian baker just starts screaming in it what's twenty dollars is phoebe screaming she just screams twenty oh maybe it's that one someone screams it's phoebe okay and i was like damn i like that if someone's screaming it's probably phoebe okay gotcha um yeah good good choices all right i'm leah i'm a damn and this is shiro raku where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, pull up before I haul you. Let me turn down the thermostat. This is bad. We're on page one, guys. This is She Will Rack You. Speed run edition. This is... <laughs> okay. I was telling Leah, I finished this outline a grand whopping total of 30 minutes before we had to start. Before Leah came here. So... Um, yeah, but I still think this is going to be a very good story, a very interesting story and a wild story because 
hello, we're talking about 90s grunge. It's never... It's never calm. It's never calm. It's always drug-induced chaos. And if you don't know, that's your trigger warning. Drugs, death, blah, 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 blah. Um, but let me tell you what the story is not going to be. I am not discussing did Courtney do it. You can go listen to our Nirvana episode, but... Or, you know, if you're tuning in for that reason, go listen to, like, Crime Junkies or, like, <laughs> Conspiracy Theories podcast because we're not talking about that. Sorry. Um, we are going to be talking about the band, uh, which brings up an interesting point. Why in pop culture, and this is this is the thesis statement okay. of this whole story for me, why in our pop culture brain are we more prone to think about Courtney Love, the media figure, and have whole be a footnote? It's rhetorical. Don't feel the need to answer. Because 90s media fucking sucked. That'll do it. Um, So I feel like there's like a retelling, so to speak, of what the story of Hole is. And I'm going to do it right now. I'll be the one to do it. So let's get into it. I'm going to start with Courtney Love. Now, Courtney Love is kind of just like the front runner she started the band she's the one who so there is a lot about Courtney Love but I'll be talking about the other artists so don't think it's like oh you're only gonna talk about Courtney it's kind of complicated it technically is Courtney's band but Kurt's band is Nirvana yeah that's kind of so you got to talk about it that's exactly right so Courtney Michelle Harrison was born in San Francisco on July 9th 1964 her upbringing is something so she grew up for a time when she was young in the hate ashbury community of San Fran, which equals to hippies. Hippies mm. everywhere. Because she was born in 1964. So she's like, we're, we're, we're trucking along to 1967 soon, where everything just starts going nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, her dad was the manager for Grateful Dead. Interesting. I can't remember if I covered that on our episode about the Grateful Dead, but regardless, I was surprised. And the basis of Grateful Dead slash co-founder Phil Leash, Lesh, rather, is her godfather. Okay. Isn't that interesting? So, her parents met at a party for jazz singer slash player Dizzy Gillespie, and then they tied the knot in Reno because, uh-oh, she's pregnant. Surprise. Surprise. And it's Courtney. Um, but here's where things really start getting nuts in her life. Her parents didn't stay together very long, which, you know, Tends to be the case with shotgun weddings. Um, but in a custody battle, her dad lost custody because her mom and another woman claimed her father was microdosing her with LSD. Ooh. Yeah. She's like six. Ooh. So like, um, yeah, not great. No. Not great. So after this, her mom and her moved to... Um, Oregon, but I think it's actually Washington. I don't know. Somewhere up there. Um, as she gets a degree in psychology and remarries where her stepdad adopts Courtney. So in her life, she claims to have been in therapy since age three. Damn. Yeah. Um, and at age nine, she was diagnosed as autistic, mainly because she was nonverbal up to that point. Did not know that. Yeah. No, I didn't know it either. Um, but things aren't as they seem at home. Uh, for one, her mom supposedly had mm, naked hippies everywhere at her house. 
doing some kind of like therapy thing. I have no clue what the therapy was. I tried to look it up and I didn't understand it. Okay. So, yeah, that's why she's in therapy at age three. Because she's seen too many naked people. Uh, you know, you know, I I understand where they were going with the concept, but the concept didn't play out correctly. No. I'm sorry. You can't just make your own nudist colony in your house. No, it doesn't work that way. And then her mom breaks up with Courtney's stepdad and then she remarries and then moves her to New Zealand. I mean, not a bad place to live. Snakes, though. All the stupid ass snakes. Anyway, so Courtney lived there for like a hot second and then she moves back to the States to live with her stepdad. Um, but then it kind of gets sad because at 14, she was arrested for shoplifting and went to juvie. And then from there, she gets put into foster care. Until she can like come to emancipation age. Oh, yeah, it's kind of sad. Um, from there, to give you a very quick abridged version of her life, because this could be a whole other series up to this point. Um, she moves all around from Japan, Dublin, London, Ireland, I think Singapore. That's too many places. Um, her main job in these countries was working at strip clubs. Hmm. And this is how she, why she changed her name to Love, Courtney Love, to hide uh, her identity. It's her stripper name to hide no, her identity. I did not know that. And now that I hear it, I'm like, <coughs> that damn, makes sense. Damn, that do be a good stripper name. Good call on that, Courtney. That's a good one. Um, But then she was into acting for a hot second, starred in two movies. She is an actress. She has been in other things through the 90s and 2000s and probably 2010s. And then she goes back to stripping, um, was in a couple bands, including Pagan Babies, which I just love that name. That's a great name. It's a great. I'm very sad that it did not last very long. Um, Faith No More, which is absolutely hilarious. Um, and Babes in Toyland, which they'll kind of rear their head in at some point. And then in 1989, she's had it. She puts up an ad and it says, I want to start a band. My influences are Big Black, Sonic Youth and Fleetwood Mac. And guitarist Eric Erlinson answers the ad. So let's talk about Eric. Here is where my media amnesia slash Mandela effect kicks in because I had no clue there was a man in the band. I don't think I did either. I literally thought up to this point it was all female. But maybe it's just me. I don't think I knew another member other than Courtney. So I will Because every photo from- I've seen is like her and two other females and another person background. Well, Eric was in the background this whole time. <laughs> he just creeping in the background. <laughs> but I guess this is what men feel like when there's like the one female in the band. So mm. they're like, dude, Payback. dude, there's a woman in the band. What, bro? So for us, dude, there's a man in the band. What, Ew. bro? <laughs> Damn. Anyway, so Eric was born in Los Angeles on January 9th, 1963. As far as for his upbringing... He was one of seven in a Roman Catholic family. Mm, Water is out. wet. That all makes sense. Um, he studied economics in college at a school where his dad was the dean. Uh, but the best fact about Eric's life is he works at a vinyl store in college called Licorice Pizza. Hey, it's a movie. That's, that's exactly right. That's what the 2021 movie is based off hey. that has one of the Haim sisters in it. Haim. Haim? Haim. Oh. They're Jewish. Okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> That, that, okay. Okay, I'm tracking with that. Anyway, one of the Heim sisters yes. uh, stars in. So now I want to go watch this film. But sadly, this chain no longer exists. Like, it was a Los Angeles chain. It's sad. And it's like time to bring that one back. Yeah. I have to say, 
Blockbuster. You can leave in the past, but I want licorice pizza back. <laughs> we, 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 we need it. So before Hole, he, his, you know, big boy job, so to speak, was being an accountant at Capitol Records. That's a pretty good job. Not, not the Courtney Love accountant version. An accountant. accountant. I work as, as accountants. an accountant. No one asks what you do when no, you're an accountant. accountant. So an actual accountant. So at least so we've been told. Uh, he's at Capitol Records. So. He's, the, he's the lead stripper at Capitol Records. <laughs> he's actually the Coke supplier. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so this is where he's working when he sees an ad. And he's like, yeah, I guess I'll respond to it. I'm going to move over. I'm going to talk about the next two are probably the biggest people in the band, so to speak, as far as for like they stayed the longest. Um, so first I'm going to talk about Melissa off DeMar, which is very fun to say. Um, you may remember her from our Smashing Pumpkins episode. I don't, but that's in you. Leah was like, I was listening for maybe 20 minutes of that. Um, I remember nothing, but yes, continue. <laughs> okay. I'm sure the people at home don't remember either. <laughs> thank, thank you, Leah. <laughs> Do you remember everything you hear in a podcast? Let us know in the comments below. Um, so Melissa was born in Montreal, Quebec on March 17th, 1972. Her dad was a Canadian politician and journalist. It seems like the perfect background for a grunge bass player. Yeah. Like, fuck you, dad. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to go play bass in a Fuck band. you. I won't do what you tell me. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, Melissa actually didn't meet her dad until she was three because she was asking about him. And I guess like the story goes, her mom brought her to meet her dad. And then her dad fell in love with her mom and they got married. So it's kind of cute. I don't know what the situation was before it, but somehow it's like that meeting again it was like the parent trap it's like a me- it's literally the parent trap it is the parent trap with one kid the one <laughs> just one child one child and it just switches accents <laughs> from french to an american accent so the parent trap yeah that's exactly right that's exactly right um so but after some time they do get a divorce and melissa begins like traveling the world with her mom who is like a literary translator so she's got like a lot of work to do um but they would eventually return to montreal after her mom uh, contracted malaria and then uh for some time like she was in the alternative school system in quebec where she went to school with rufus wainwright if you know that name the name is familiar i don't yeah. know why um and then after that after graduating she became a dj for a bit kind of cool but that's that's what i got on her and then let's talk about patty schmel drummer for the group patty was born in los angeles on uh, April 24th, 1967, but her family later moved to Washington after her birth. Not really much about her early life. There's actually only these two facts. Number one, at age 11, her dad bought her a drum kit. Fact number two, a few le- years later, she would come out as a lesbian. So there you go. There you go. That's all the facts. One could argue water is wet. Yes. I'm not saying the drum kit was a like, you know. It was a red flag. It, it was a red flag. It wasn't the Not cause of the lesbianism. It was, it, but it was definitely a symptom leading yes. up to the to the lesbianism. If yes, you will. it's the uh, musical equivalent of just chopping all your hair off. Yeah, and telling your friends you got a pixie cut. That's exactly right. That's that's exactly right. But anyway, um, it's also worth noting in her life up to this point, uh, she was a drummer in the Seattle scene. 
playing for a lot of different bands. And she met a band named Nirvana at the time. And she's actually Kurt Cobain's best friend. Like one of of his best friends. She actually lived with Courtney and Kurt for a period of time. That's weird, but okay. Weird, but you know, it's (laughs) 90s, there's drugs, uh, grunge. Don't don't have roommates when you're dating someone. Just a PSA. But anyway, so anyway, I think that's kind of cool. So let's go back to that ad. Eric responds to it. Meets Courtney for coffee. Courtney sees him and is like, yep, you're the one. Hasn't even played anything. And Eric's a little bit freaked out. (laughs) (laughs) But he stays around because he's curious. So the two of them just like start working on demos right away, gathering equipment. The Red Hot Chili Peppers was nice enough to lend their rehearsal space, which is really cool. In the meantime, Courtney's raising money for equipment by stripping, which I really respect because that's a lot of money. That is she's the breadwinner in this family. She really is. She really is. Um, and then, you know, he's working as an accountant. As an accountant. What do you do? I'm, I'm an accountant. accountant. I really hope that you guys get that joke. <laughs> if you're not on TikTok, you're not gonna get that joke. No, you're not gonna understand that joke at all. Um, but before we go further, you are probably wondering, where did the band name come from? Well, there's a long version and a short version. The long version of the story is it's based off a line from some Greek tragedy um, I've never heard of. That is not what I expected you to say at all. <laughs> but the line is, quote, there is a hole that pierces right through me. Okay. And then it also links back to something in her life where her mom told her um, one time that she couldn't live, quote, with a hole right through her. The short version is a vagina. It is a That's euphemism where I was expecting. <laughs> for the general region known as a vagina. <laughs> so, <laughs> don't multi, get all multi, Greek multi. tragedy on me. This, this is <laughs> this is like when you're in school and you're trying to say like the the clear answer is the duck crossed the road, but you're not allowed to just say that. You have to restate the question. Yes. So you like back it up with like the duck was discovered in the neolithic period and then there's the stoner kid in the back of the clash going <laughs> penis <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what they did <laughs> that's exactly right that 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 is the occurrence of the name of the band uh but back to the story let me tell you about the first iteration of the band whole so courtney and eric were joined by bassist lisa roberts and caroline rue for a short time they also recruited a third guitarist his name's mike Gieschbrecht. He doesn't really do much. You'll see people funnel in and out. I don't keep track of all of them. But they weren't around for too long. As Caroline was kind of like peace pretty much. She's like, all right, see ya. Uh, Lisa was fired for threatening a mobster's wife. I would not recommend doing that. (laughs) Literally, (laughs) Literally in my notes, it says, quote, do not do that. (laughs) I know. I have proof of this. I literally wrote that. Um, but I guess their first gig was like the mobster's wife owned the spot and she didn't pay them. So she goes with a screwdriver, a fucking screwdriver <laughs> to threaten a mobster's wife. Like, like, what are you going to fucking do with that? What are you going to do with that? I'm I don't know. I'm just saying. It ain't, ain't the smartest move. It ain't the smartest move. Um, so after that, the band releases a couple singles. The first song, which I'm going to admit the first word, and you can kind of piece it together because I don't like this word, um, Our Girl, Cap, R, 
Uh, yeah. I, I'm not going to mention it. It's an R slur word meant to demerit someone's intelligence. I was thinking our, like, oh, you are. Yeah, I, I, I see where the the thing came in. But the second one's fucking hilarious. Dick nail. Dick nail. <laughs> 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 Gruesome yet funny. It gets worse the more you think about it. Really? Um, in 1991, they begin working on their first album called Pretty on the Inside. It's a good title. It is a good title. Now, when I did first hear the album name, I cannot tell you why, but I immediately thought of like a 2000s Disney pop song. Like, same that Hilary Duff would sing. That like, vibes. I'm pretty on the inside, yeah. not just the out. I don't know. That's, I don't know that's exactly saying. what that sounds like. Um, but it is anything but that. For example, the first track on the album is called, quote, Teenage Whore. That's a great song. Oh, title. It's a great song and a great song title. I do enjoy that song. Uh, for the album producer, Courtney had her eyes on Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth. And here's how she asked her. She sent a letter, demos, and a Hello Kitty barrette. <laughs> Respect. Yes. You can tell it's the 90s. Immediate yes for me, by the way. If yes. someone sent me a barrette and said, can you please record a podcast for me? Done. We're do- that's how you can seduce us, guys. Yes. Correct. Um, Kim would also recruit Don Fleming from Gumball. I, I just figured that'd be good for you guys to know. Um, for the recording process, it took about a week and seemed to be good. I say that because both producers like spoke very highly of like how Courtney approached her singing, which I also agree. I, I do like her voice and how she formed it. Off the top of my head, you probably already have like an idea of what Courtney sounds like because she has a raspy alto. But on this first album, it is so abrasive. And I love it. She's like kind of doing this like singing, guttural screaming throughout the whole album. And it's this really cool grudge, sludge, metal sound. And she was already like showing parts of what her performance were going to be like. Um, As Leah and I were discussing, which we don't talk a lot about this, they are very much known. Well, Courtney is very much known for her stage antics, all because of drugs. But don't do drugs um anyway so supposedly she is just intense in her singing and there even was a point where she was recording a song and she was ripping her clothes off like she had all this adrenaline and that's not the first time we've said I that mean, on this she podcast did spend a lot of time with naked people as a kid you know literally that and she was a stripper and like that's how she knows how to perform hey listen we're psychoanalyzing her. We <laughs> Listen, hey, she can do whatever she wants. I just think that's an interesting that she had all this adrenaline. I just think that's kind of cool. Um, anyway. And on the instrumental side, Eric is like the master arranger, so to speak. And he's like grabbing the most fuzzy wah pedals that you can possibly grab. Wah, wah, yeah, wah. That, yeah. That's, that's, exactly, that's what the album sounds like. That's what it sounds like, essentially. Um, he's also putting like feedback purposely into it, adding some overdubbing. So it just has this like, so you got Courtney screaming, fuck you. And you got Eric with the noise. And that's my synopsis of this album. How many effects do you want? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, um, lyrically, Courtney is writing lyrics that match the charge in her sound. Um, she's covering subjects like abortion, self-image, abuse, essentially a penis. <laughs> I was going to say penis. <laughs> uh, essentially a female point of view 
that wasn't talked about until like the riot girl movement. And ultimately, Courtney, I think, is one of the first people that brings it mainstream. In an interview for Melody Maker in 1991, Courtney said, quote, I sometimes feel no one's taken the time to write about certain things in rock. And there's a certain female point of view that's never been given space. And she's right. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. When the album was released in 1991, she developed a cult following. So all that paid off. And looking back, Courtney says his album's unlistable. I disagree with her. I think it sounds great. And so it develops a cult following. Teenage Horror goes number one on the UK indie charts. You know, it does pretty good. It's also like retroactively been on a couple of like best of lists. I'm sorry, 1991 best of lists. So it's been in tier yeah, list. It's even pretty for good. Them. Yeah, it's pretty good. So it's 1991. Where's Kurt? Oh, um, I know some of you are just here for that answer and that's fine. So according to biographers, it's kind of like all over the place. Some people say they met at a nightclub in 1990. Some people say they only met in 1991. Some people say they met in the underground scene in 1989. Who knows? But for a brief time in 1991, Courtney dated Billy Corrigan from Smashing Pumpkins. I did not know that either. That's weird. And then started dating. The amount of times I'm going to talk about Smashing Pumpkins in this outline is very interesting. I didn't realize they were so intertwined. Neither did I. Um, But then after that, she starts dating Kurt. They were dating for like a year before they got married in February 1992. And here comes the paparazzi. I talked a little bit about this in the Nirvana episode. I will talk about it here. The fucking press were just unfairly brutal to her. And you'll see little glimpses of that through this story. But let me just give you a taste. As soon as Courtney started dating Kurt, the fan base started saying, Nirvana's fan base started saying, oh, she's just trying to take advantage of him and wants his money. Like she doesn't have her own fucking money in her own fucking career. But anyway, no. um, in the linear notes for Incesticide, which was a project Kurt did, um, he clarifies this beautifully he says quote my wife challenges injustice and the reason she has been severely attacked is because she chooses not to function the way the white corporate man insists a big fuck you to those of you that have the audacity to claim that i am naive and stupid and that i would allow myself to be taken advantage of i mean that's a great way go to sum Kurt. it up go home folks like that he, Pack it up. he just literally he and of course did that work no, no. Because Kurt and Courtney are just going to have to defend themselves or Kurt's going to have to defend Courtney. Courtney's going to have to defend herself the entire time. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, But anyway, that just shows you how insane the 90s was and they just went unchecked. The Paparazzi went unchecked. I don't understand it. So Courtney and Eric start working on the band's second album in 1992. And I do want to plug in this really awesome YouTube documentary I found on this album called uh, the counts called trash theory, <laughs> which I, I do like that name. I like that. The video is called the traumas and rock stars that inspired Courtney love on live through this. Um, he did a really good job, like pulling quotes and bringing behind the scenes behind this album. So thank you for making that because it was slim pickings for content. And that was very good. Um, so for this album, they decided to do like a little bit more of a controlled direction, musically speaking, which the basis I forgot the name already. Not important. And the drummer, Caroline, left. They're like, oh, oh we don't want to be controlled. Bye. Bye. Um, and it's funny because it's like, 
I like you listen to it. It's literally like the continuation of Pretty on the Inside. Like maybe a little bit more melodic, but it still has that same raw edge. I don't quite understand what they saw, but whatever. Um, keep in mind up to this point, people have kind of cycled through since 1989, but these people came in through connections with other people. Time to pull out the tried and true method of an ad. Always an ad in the newspaper. And I love this ad so much. Um, definitely written under the influence of drugs. No doubt. Um, but here's the ad. Quote, I want someone who can play okay and stand in front of 30,000 people, take off her shirt and have fuck you written on her tits. If you're not afraid of me and you're not afraid of to fucking say it, send a letter. No more pussies. No more fake girls. I want a whore from hell. <laughs> Yes, I love it's, that. It's the whore from hell for me, like that. That and right, fuck you on your tits. Yes, yes. Um, if someone could leave in a, a uh, review for this podcast with that same energy, Please. we'll send you a free sticker. We'll send you two. Yeah, we'll send you two, one for each tit. Yes. So you know, your own makeshift. Uh, what are they called? Pasties. Oh, pasties. Thank you. Um, so this ad yields Chris. Kristen Pfaff. I think that's how you say it. They also host auditions for a drummer. They did not get an ad. The drummer did not get an ad. Um, Kurt suggests Patty because he's worked with her before, knows her drumming. Um, and she's obviously really fucking awesome. Like she's a very good drummer. So she sticks around. Uh, the album is written during what I would consider the peak of the media's backlash on Courtney. It's during this time that the Vanity Fair article comes out when she's like eight months pregnant, like it was a whole write up on her. And someone claims like a close source to Courtney claims that she was using heroin early in her pregnancy, which Courtney refuted. But despite that, Courtney and Kurt had their baby taken away for nine months by CPS. I didn't know that. I don't know if I covered that in my... I did talk about this article That's in the Madonna episode. Yeah, it's really sad. And they could only see her, like, through supervised visits. That's really sad. Yeah. That's a, from what I heard in this documentary. Like, that's what really sent Kurt on the path. I can imagine. And that that will do it. That will do it. Um, This event also further polarized audiences against Courtney. Um, then she had former bandmates in Babes in Toyland just completely come out and attack her character, which I have a thing about when you have one woman being attacked in the media, other women coming through and being like, oh yeah, let me jump in on this. Yeah. Train. Please, you got to support each other. Listen, it's hard out here for a bitch. Okay. <laughs> Don't add to it. Don't add to it. Handle that shit in private. Um, but they said they, that she stole quote, their kinder whore look. Now, the kinder whore look is little, like, baby doll camis. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the the night slips. Yeah. With messed up hair, bright red lipstick. Grungy makeup. Yeah, grungy makeup. Yeah, that's the kinder whore look. And during all this, she is watching the success of Nevermind. And she challenges herself to write a better album than that. And I think, like, she says she's always competing with Kurt, but in a very healthy way. Like, an artist challenging another artist to be better. Like, leapfrogging. They push each other. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. And this is the background for the album Live Through This. The title comes from a line from Gone with the Wind, which I think is interesting. On this album, she covers a variety of subjects, 
Basically, this album is a direct response to her critics while telling the story of everything she's had to live through up to this point. In fact, all the stories I mentioned above are addressed in her lyrics. Let me tell you my favorite story from this album. Um, The biggest hit on the album is Violet. That's the opening track. Violet is very likely about Billy Corrigan (laughs) from Smashing Pumpkins. Um, Turns out the reason they only uh, briefly dated was because Billy was seeing someone else. Billy Bob was bopping someone else. And I think it's super creative, like the first lyrics in the song. And the sky was of amethyst and all the stars were like little fish. So Billy's birthstone is amethyst mm. and he's a Pisces. Ooh. And if that doesn't like further prove it one time from stage before playing that song, Courtney says, quote, this song's about a jerk. I hexed him and now he's losing his hair. Ah, I love that. <laughs> She's the original in a way, lyrically the original Taylor Swift, just like coding. Yeah, uh, coding. I was thinking the, um, the stars and fish are very Taylor Swift. Yes. The album is excellent. And it's held in high regard for reason. Like, say what you want, but Courtney and Eric are just kick-ass songwriters. Like, they write some freaking catchy, energizing songs. And, of course, when the album comes out, people start claiming, oh, you know who actually wrote the album? Kurt. Kurt. They were like, this sounds too similar. And it sounds nothing like Nirvana. There's, like, maybe, I don't know if it's this album or the next album. There's, like... One song where she takes a song that was cut from a Nirvana album and does her own take on it. Okay. It's a song, Old Age. I don't know which one it was. But no, it's their own sound. But that would not be the only ire this album would face. The album was released, and this is really sad, on April 12th, 1994. Only a couple days after Kurt has passed. Oof. Obviously, you can't plan around that. No. Stop an album press in the 90s. That's just not going to happen. No. And then a couple months later, the new whole bassist, Kristen Pfaff, and a close friend of Courtney died from a drug overdose. Oh. She was also 27. Oh. Yeah. So, for some fucking reason, and I don't know how people arrived here, it went, f- the tone of the album went through from living through all the media to living through death. Like, people are like, I don't know why people tied those together. The, the album was way before the deaths yeah like it was weird like people were just looking for anything yeah and they're like oh was these intentional like i'm just like are you fucking kidding me like that was a weird illusion that from my research was happening and i just don't quite weird understand how people arrived to there um but then again courtney would have to clarify again and again and again in the press and no one fucking listened um, besides all that, the album did great critically and commercially. It went multi-platinum by December of that year and charted internationally. Um, along with being featured on multiple best of tier lists, it has sold over 1.6 million copies to date. And when the band was touring the album, that's where they recruit Melissa. And she's in the band until for quite some time. So I'm going to jump here because we're in 1994. We're going to jump over to 1998. Basically, all you need to know, they're doing some singles for movies. They're doing their own solo projects, kind of, you know, taking a smidge of a break. So Hole is working on their third album. And I would say this is the biggest departure musically. This is where they get the song Celebrity Skin, which is a great song. Um, Also the title of this album. But 
according to the band, and I think this is why the sound is very different, when they came to write the first rendition of the album, they just hated the material. So they had to scrap. And they kept scrapping and scrapping. And then eventually Courtney's like, all right, we just got to choose something and make it a direction. And they just like chose California and the American dream. It's always a safe direction. Uh, Always a safe direction. And that's that's why the album kind of heads over that direction. Celebrity skin. Mm. Makes sense. Um, But the band was just still failing to craft the sound. I mean, it's important to know here. Grunge is dead. Mm. And they can't just go back and do what they did. Like, truly, they, they cannot. And it's the end of the 90s. So it might as well just be a different planet musically. Gotta be a boy band. Yeah. So they bring in someone to help. Who is the last person I would imagine that would help? Take a guess. I don't know. Mr. Hexed, bald man himself, Billy Corrigan. Oh, God. I'm assuming they like made made up at some point. I would hope so. I don't really know how this came about. But anyway, he came in and helped like musically and song structure wise and really helped kind of form that sound. He reworked, I think, five of the songs on the album. So interesting. The band stepped back into the studio on April 1997. There's, of course, a little bit of drama while recording. So while she is credited as a drummer, Patty Chamel actually didn't do any of the drumming on the tracks. Oof. And the reason is shitty. So the producer of the album, Michael Beinhorn, he's an asshole. That's all you got to know. He's got a dumb name. Michael the asshole. Essentially, he had a session drummer that he had a retainer full time and he wanted him to play on the album instead. So he made Patty do take after take after take after take to the point where she was doing eight hours of straight drumming. That's insane. For two weeks. Yeah. He was doing it just to psych her up and have her give up. Like that was the goal. Give up. And she didn't. And even while he was, she was recording, he would just turn the volume down and just hang out. Like fuck that guy. And then just, yeah, he's a shitty person. And if that wasn't shitty enough, he brings in Courtney and shows all of the weakest takes takes as she messes up and all this kind of stuff and like convinces her not to use patty that's shitty it's so shitty and of course courtney agrees um which she has come to very much regret um but after this patty left the band which i don't blame, I don't her. blame her but the sad part is patty is also addicted to drugs so when you are addicted to drugs and you don't have a job you do more drugs. You do more drugs. And then you don't have money. Nope. So there was two years of her life after whole. She was living on the streets. That's sad. It's so sad. And Courtney, like I said, regretted the decision. And she like recognizes like, I should have never listened to him. And this is partly my fault. So it's kind of good to take responsibility for that. I respect that. But still, it just sucks. It sucks for her. Um, I didn't have time to delve into this, but there is a book slash documentary about Petty Schmel's journey called Hit So Hard. Um, It's a good title. It's very good. Like, I really wanted to watch it. I just didn't, unfortunately, have the time. Like I said, I finished this outline 30 minutes before uh, me and Before I got here. Yeah. so. So the album comes out in 1998. And it is as far as it can be from the grunge sound. Well, I want to say it's as far as it could be, but it's definitely in that pop rock range. I don't hate it. It's fine. 
I have no problem with it. Uh, but despite this, it did critically and commercially well. So obviously they knew what they were doing. And it peaked number nine on the Billboard 200 and has sold two dates, 1.4 million copies. That's a lot of copies. That's a lot of copies. That's pretty damn good. So for this tour, the Celebrity Skin Tour, they go join in on another tour and it's Marilyn Manson. Okay. I don't know why they thought for the new sound, Marilyn Manson was the correct choice. Yep. That's a choice. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got celebrities saying, oh, make me over, bum, 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 bum. And then you just have Marilyn Manson ripping a Bible on stage. Yeah. Like, literally, <laughs> I don't understand why that happened. But it didn't last long because the band found out we just don't like him. And so after six shows, they drop out. Good for them. Yeah. But the even though they dropped out, it's also, I think, a cause of a symptom that was already happening because the band's kind of falling apart. Melissa leaves because guess what? She's going to go play in Smashing Pumpkins with Billy Corrigan. You can't trust a hexed bald man. No, you can't. That is the history lesson here. You cannot trust him. Don't trust him. Um, so anyway, she goes to, does that. And then the new drummer. I don't know their name. They left. <laughs> um, so basically from 1999 to 2002, it's just Eric and Courtney. And they're kind of just idle. Just vibing. And it's just like in 2002, they make the announcement on their website. The band's no more. But as the band kind of like members of the band, they all just start doing their own side projects, like their own thing. Like Courtney comes out with an album in 04 that I remember when it came out. Um, Melissa's releasing music. I don't know what Patty's doing. I think she's getting better. Um, And then Eric, this is actually really funny. Eric joined in this band called Rice. And it says on Wiki, a controversial artist. A controversial artist. I don't even necessarily know his name. But when I clicked on it, it said, early life, growing up in the mafia. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, But anyway, so they're kind of doing their own thing. And in 2009... Courtney says, the band's back together. Well, the band was not informed of this. Surprise! Because guess what? They're not in it. It's just Courtney. It's just Courtney and some randos. Sweet. And this was a problem because she broke a contract between her and Eric. I'm Eric sure she said, did. Both of them agreed. If we bring the band back together, it has to be mutually agreed upon. Yeah. And so she said, no. And okay. Anyway. So they released an album called Nobody's Daughter. Haven't listened to it. Didn't cover it. It's there. You can go listen to it. It's there. I'm sure it's fine. But this juncture only lasts for till 2013. And then they're like, all right, pack it up. We tried. And so the original bands, because you think that would kind of damage things. They actually, for the first time, were back together at the showing of Patty's documentary release hit so hard. And then that's when, you know, we find that in history when bands kind of like, you know, they see each other for first time in years, like we did for guns and roses slash and Axel just need to sit down over a beer and talk. Things start grooving and moving again. And that's what's happening with this band. They're like, maybe we'll get back together. Maybe we'll do an album. And so they start teasing this for like five fucking years. (laughs) (laughs) They got to really be sure. Yeah. And so in October 2019, whole 
it says rehearsed. I think they just did one performance at the Hollywood Walk of Fame. But that was it. Because <laughs> great reunion, Courtney guys. just said, all right, I'm going to go to UK. So yeah. Which, you know, I kind of get. Um, and then in March 2020, Love and Michelle were like, hey, let's do a performance together about Bands Off My Body, which sounds great. But guess what happens in March 2020? COVID. So... I think the actions were there. We actually were going to get a whole band. Whole again. The whole whole. The whole whole. But sadly, Thanks, it did COVID. not happen. And I don't really know where the band stands today. They're probably still going to linger on it, mull it over for the next five years. Uh, but this, as far as her legacy goes, is a classic case of praise the man, punish the woman. Like, the band should get way more respect for the music they put out, not just for Courtney Love, the media figure. And the paparazzi had a huge role in ruining the rep of this band and ultimately dimming their exposure. Like, I think Hole could have been a lot bigger than they were. And I blame the paparazzi for that. I, I really do. I don't think it was necessarily Courtney, even though she didn't help with the drugs. Yeah. And the rest of the band was on drugs. I don't want to just say Courtney. But I I truly think they would have been bigger if it wasn't for that. And, you know, I think the most important thing that I hope we learn from stories like this is to kind of like change narratives like, was Courtney is am I Courtney stand no there's lots of things she did does did and do do that I don't agree with at all but I think it's like worth noting Courtney has not had her due process in the pop culture consciousness and at the end of the day Hole is one of the voices that helps like the feminist issues get you know limelight and I think that should be remembered and that's the whole story. Hey. Thanks for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Good Pods. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website, shiorocky.com. There you'll find links to our socials, show notes, ways to contact us, and links to buy our merch. And remember, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs.